0: Please remain standing as you're able. The scripture this morning is from the 10th chapter of Acts. It's the end of a long journey for Peter. Uh, one day Peter is uh, hungry and he falls asleep though before lunch and God gives him a dream and shows him all sorts of food, but food that Jews aren't allowed to eat. And he tells Peter, eat this food. And Peter said, God, I'd never do that. And this food is unclean. And And God says to Peter, look, what I have called clean, I don't want you to call unclean. Peter's trying to figure out what that dream means when all of a sudden two visitors from uh, Caesarea Maritima Which is a port on the sea Have come to fetch him to take him back To a Roman uh, centurion Named Cornelius and so as Peter Makes this journey finds himself With this Gentile who wants to know more about God it is as if a light bulb Comes on in Peter's head and that's where we pick Up Peter began uh, To speak saying now I Know how true it is that and realize How true it is that God shows no Favoritism but God accepts from Every nation the one who fears him and does what is acceptable in his sight and you have heard the message given to the people of Israel of of the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all and we you know what has happened in Judea beginning first in the province of uh, Galilee after uh, the Uh, baptism that uh, john preached the holy spirit came upon jesus with power and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for god was with him and we're witnesses to these things that have happened in jerusalem and the country of the jews they took jesus and killed him by hanging him on a tree but on the third day God raised him from the dead and caused him to be seen by many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Perhaps you've heard the old saying, good fences make good neighbors. Now, the saying is uh, popularly attributed to uh, Robert Frost, and you can certainly find it in Robert Frost. But there's some debate as to whether Robert Frost was the first one that said, good fences make good neighbors. Some people even trace it back over a thousand years to an ancient Chinese emperor. Well, I don't know where it came from, but I want to tell you this morning one place it didn't come from, Jesus Jesus never thought any sort of fence was very good at all. In fact, on the day that Jesus died, Good Friday, we are told that a 60-foot curtain uh, that was about four inches thick that was in the temple, it separated the holiest place where only the holy uh, holiest person, the high priest, could go once a year. It separated uh, that place off from the rest of the temple. And when Jesus was crucified, that 60-foot-tall curtain was torn in half. And that was just the beginning. Peter comes to understand in our story today that after the resurrection, Jesus tore down a lot more fences as well. Fences and walls from which Peter felt safe and lived his life behind these. So what I want to do this morning briefly is just look with you at this journey that Peter takes and how he finds uh, all these particular walls that he has been living behind are being torn down by the resurrection of Jesus. The first and most obvious wall wall is simply a geographical wall. Uh, Peter was raised apparently in Capernaum, which is a small village in Galilee of about 500 people. And he probably went to Jerusalem as a good Jew three times a year for the three major festivals. But all of a sudden... After the resurrection of Jesus, he finds himself on the coast in a place called Joppa, which is modern day Tel Aviv, basically. And then we'll go from there to Caesarea Maritima, which is a port, a, a huge port that took in Roman imports and then exported a few things back to Rome. And so suddenly Peter finds himself going from this tiny little village in the backwoods, or at least what the Romans would consider the backwoods, to, to the uh, frontier of going to the larger world by being at that port. Now, Peter shouldn't have been surprised by the destruction of this geographical wall because when Jesus uh, came back from the dead, one of the things he told the disciples is, look, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And then he adds and to the ends of the earth, which would require them to get on a ship more than likely and go. And so the first wall that Peter sees destroyed is this geographical wall. So it's not too big a leap to see that there's another wall that's being torn down, and that's a national wall, the the boundaries between peoples of different nations. What's real clear for Israel is there there are two main nations that count in the world, the nation of Israel and then the whole Roman world. And why it counts is because of this, that the Romans have been occupying by the time of Peter uh, for over 80 years. They have occupied Israel and they have oppressed the people of Israel. They've heavily taxed the people of Israel. And, the, and, and a, a good Jew's most uh, pious dream would be that a Messiah would come and eliminate all the Romans and, and destroy them and allow Israel to rule their own country again. And even better than that, maybe let Israel rule the whole world. So there was a huge divide between the evil Romans who were the captors and the, the good Jews who were the oppressed. And then all of a sudden that divide... Gets destroyed because God says send some messengers and and tells Peter you are supposed to go see Cornelius who's in centurion centurion means he's a Roman officer who's in charge of at least a hundred men. So not only is he like the bad guy he's like one of the chiefs of the bad guys and God is trying to show Peter that old divide we had between nations we're not doing that anymore. Now, he should have gotten a hint of this when Jesus was alive on walking on earth. He said on the Sermon on the Mount, I want you to love your enemies. I I want you to pray for those who persecute you. He was trying to set them up for a broader vision that crossed uh, geographical and national um, boundaries. But Peter wasn't quite there yet. But that's what God had in mind. I, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a God's eye view of the world, as it were. But have you seen a, a, a picture of our planet from space? You've probably seen that, right? And, and you can look and you can even find North America you know, from that. But, but you won't see any dotted lines for the states. You won't see any stars for the capitals. You won't see any borders separating us from Canada or borders separating us from Mexico, from space. The God's eye view is it is all one. And what we begin to realize is a lot of the boundaries and walls that we set up for each other were set either by war or by treaty uh, or by negotiations with winners and losers. And God, through the resurrection of Jesus, is telling Peter, that's not going to fly anymore. We are going to all be one in the fact that we are all loved and there is no favoritism from one nation over another. That had to be stunning for Peter, but it was about to get worse. One of the things that Peter would find is that safe wall he lived uh, uh, behind of the way he lived his religion. That he carried out all the laws of his religion. If it said don't eat, he didn't eat. If it said, and then it would say don't associate with people who do eat things that we're not supposed to eat. And then all of a sudden God gives him a dream and says this food you're not supposed to eat, I want you to eat it. And then when Peter complained, said, you know, God, this is a trick, right? right? I would never eat anything like that. It's unclean, and God says to Peter in dream, "Look, what I've called un- what I've called clean, you are not to call unclean." And suddenly, the rules uh, of the wall of rules from which Peter's lived behind his whole life look like they're about to be torn down. And he could think back to traveling around with Jesus. One of the things Jesus did is he almost willfully and wantonly disregarded the rules of Sabbath in so many ways. If there was someone hungry or in pain. Or suffering, Jesus didn't care whether it was the Sabbath or not. He was going to do good. Jesus would violate, in a sense, the the rules from which Peter expected everybody uh, to live by and the wall of those rules that they are expected to live behind. And then one of the strangest things Peter had to grapple with was this. In Peter's law that he was given, and you can look this up in the Word of God, Deuteronomy 23, verse 5, it says this, Cursed is anyone who hangs on a Tree. There's a curse on anyone who's crucified, according to Deuteronomy. And it's as if in Christ God is violating God's own rule book and establishing that the walls of religion as simply good behavior or behaving well or behaving in a particular way are going to be turned down. And the important thing will be the fear and the love of God and love of other people. And the resurrection comes. To do that, I thought we got a beautiful picture of that this week. Did anybody see the Pope on Holy Thursday? Did you saw what he did? In the, did you see what he did in the foot washing ceremony? So the Pope has a foot washing ceremony, and he's got a Christian, he's got a Hindu, he's got a Muslim from Syria, washing their feet. There's this vision of. Our faith as Christians as bigger than the walls and boundaries that we have erected to separate ourselves one religion from another. And and the Pope is not denying the tenets of Christianity or the power of Christ, but rather understanding that the power of the resurrection destroys the walls that we have tried to put in place. And Peter must have been stunned by that. Oh, but it was getting worse for Peter. Because not only was his uh, geographical and national and, and religious identity going to be challenged by the resurrection, even what he was going to do with his life was going to be challenged in a very interesting way. You see, one of the walls that, that people get tempted, not only in, in uh, Peter's day, but in our day, to live behind, is this wall that says, I'll hang out with the people I know and I'll try to stay out of trouble, keep my nose clean and do some good if I can. But all this evil and wicked and stuff that's out of control, I'm not going to go there lest I get infected or lest I get corrupted or lest I fall under the power of that evil. That's not how Jesus saw it at all. And Peter even has to admit it in his own speech. He said, you remember that Jesus was baptized with power in the Holy Spirit, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. I'll put it another way: the wall that separates just doing the good things and the safe things and mixing it up with the world in all of its terror and pain, that wall gets eliminated. There used to be, well, that's Satan's territory, and somebody else will have to deal with that. But Jesus said, and said clearly to Peter at a place called Caesarea Philippi, "You're going to charge the gates of Hades. I want you going where we have not gone before." Peter's world was about to get a lot less safe because of the resurrection, he was going to be sent into places and to deal with people who uh, he would have tried to avoid to maintain his, not just his purity, but his own sanity and safety. But that wall resurrection ejected that one. Peter was going to find himself in the very domain of Satan, taking Satan on wherever there was poverty, illness. Oppression, demonic activity, uh, addiction, wherever it is, suffering. That's where Peter was supposed to be and all those who follow Christ. Well, Jesus actually set the model for this. You may know when Jesus was in the tomb, according to the scriptures in first Peter, while he was in the tomb three days, he went down to the abode of death. He went there. Uh, Donna showed me uh, an icon, a picture uh, that's about a thousand years old that the church has. And it's a beautiful picture. It's a picture of Jesus descending into hell. And as he does it, he's ripping hell open. And in the open hell, you also see that Jesus has a hand and he's pulling Adam and Eve and anybody else who's captive out. The wall of safety from which Peter wants to live his life from behind that wall is being torn down, and he's supposed to go where Jesus goes. Wherever there's trouble, that's not what we avoid now. That's what we go into. I'm reminded of the story, you probably saw it on the news this week, a woman in Portland, Texas, uh, a mother was playing Marco Polo with her five-year-old daughter. Did you see this? And so while they're playing Marco Polo in the pool, the woman, for the first time in her life, has a seizure. And she's out. And she's under the water. And she's under the water for more than a couple minutes. And suddenly the five-year-old daughter realizes this is not how we've been playing Marco Polo. And she goes to the end of the pool where her mother is and brings her out. And they get help. Her mother's resuscitated. And, and at last word was was doing reasonably well. That's another picture Jesus was trying to show Peter, I believe. We're going to go mess around on that end of the pool. The pool, end of the pool we usually... Don't leave. We're going to leave for the sake of those who struggle and who are suffering and who we may think are under the domain of forces that are stronger than they are. That wall's torn down. That's where we're going. And if you're going to go there, then you're finally going to have to knock on the biggest wall at all, and that's the wall of death. Jesus goes into death and in the resurrection destroys that barrier between life on the one hand, death on the other. And when you get on this side of the barrier on death, there was no hope of getting back through that barrier to the other side until the resurrection and Jesus destroyed that barrier. Reminds me of studies that they did in the psychology department uh, years ago in, in the 60s. And, and they took a mother rat and separated her from her baby rats and put an electric griddle in between. So when the mother tried to uh, reach her babies, uh, she was shocked. Well, she was burned. And what they saw is that time and time again, despite the fact that she would be burned, the mother kept trying to go through the griddle to reach her babies. And the researchers at the end of the experiment, when the mother rat had died, said this, that the maternal instincts in the rat are painfully evident to all. Well, take this picture. Our Heavenly Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, the griddle of death, And we're over on the other side and he's not only going up against it, he's going through it and throwing that thing away and coming to get us so that that wall can be destroyed and we can be with him again, not just in this life, but in all our life, that last wall. The biggest wall has been destroyed. And like a domino, if death falls, then Satan falls. And if Satan falls, then other things begin to fall. Not only his kingdom, but religions that are built on separating us one from another. Nations that are built on separating us from one from another. Geography that keeps us in our own little world. They all go down like dominoes. And you would think that would be the end of the story. All the walls torn down. Except... When you look at the story of Peter, Peter will go from here, from this wonderful revelation in Acts 10, and according to one of Paul's letters, he'll go back and again start to just eat with the Jews and neglect the Gentiles. Even this revelation doesn't quite sink in for him. That tells me that after God has torn down every wall, there's still one wall that stands, and that's the wall that we put up ourselves. My sense is that when we are feeling not good about our past life or mistakes that we've made or, or we're not feeling good about how we are valued or loved, we start to erect walls that separate us from others, that separate us from God. And after God has torn down every one of them, we rush behind and put, it, and put one back in place. And so the last wall that has to come down is the wall between our past and its mistakes and the future that is open and free that God has for us. And we can live on this side of the wall in guilt. Wasn't it Irma Bombeck who said years ago that guilt is the gift that keeps on giving? We can live there. But that's not what Christ died for and rose again for. It was to destroy that wall and to remind us that God is much more interested in our future than in our past. And that any wall that, that is erected between us and others are walls that we have put back there. Fred Craddock once said that when I'm at war with myself, I tend to make casualties of the people around me. And I think that's true. When I'm struggling with myself and whether I'm loved, whether I'm accepted, whether I'm valued, my temptation is not to tear down the wall, but to build it back up. But why should I put walls where God has torn them down? Why should I judge myself or others harsher than than God judges me or others? It makes no sense. And I believe the call on Easter morning from the God who has torn every existing wall down is to look at us much as our president years ago looked at the president of the Soviet Union and demanded, tear down that wall. And the demand is on us the same. Tear down the wall. Walk into the freedom that was always intended for us to live in.